Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Barry Kaufman, host of The Psychology Podcast. I'm a cognitive scientist, and I've written 10 books and hundreds of articles on topics such as intelligence, introversion, and education. The Psychology Podcast is a place where we investigate the different ways in which we can unlock human potential and where I get to interview some of the most extraordinary and fascinating people. And we have real conversations about what it means to achieve success and what it means to be human. Listen to The Psychology Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. And here we are. There are now so many Trump trials, there is no longer enough Trump trial time. Quote, at one point in the proceedings, writes the website The Messenger from the pretrial in Florida yesterday, Judge Eileen Cannon asked whether a Manhattan judge may be open to moving Trump's separate criminal trial in New York in March 2024. Not enough runways. Well, never say we did not get what we asked for. The second federal set of indictments of the defendant could be handed up as early as Thursday, though Friday seems likelier still, and the likeliest is Trump being notified Thursday or Friday and then announcing it, and then we will reenact early June, where we all know in advance and there's enough time for the sledge gangs to put up all the stages and tents and refreshment stands and the jugglers can get out the elephants because the circus is coming to town in Washington. We do know what was in the Jack Smith January 6th target letter, second in a series of who knows how many, collect them all, received Sunday by Trump's lawyers and read to him that night. It was Rolling Stone that broke it. It listed just three categories of federal statutes the government claims Trump violated and is likely to be charged over. Conspiracy to commit offense or defraud the United States, deprivation of rights under color of law, and tampering with a witness victim or an informant. A few hours later, ABC News confirmed those three categories word for word, and both reports noted what is not in the letter. As Rolling Stone put it, quote, the letter does not mention statutes on sedition or insurrection. I'll add there is no category mentioned that could even obliquely house charges of wire fraud for scamming people into donating into that bottomless slush fund ostensibly designed to fund Trump's effort to overturn a stolen election. Jack Smith has clearly been trying to prove Trump knew was not stolen. 
Perhaps the most important fact about the target letter is that it does not have to be inclusive and it does not have to spell out charges and that there were counts in the classified documents case indictments that were not even obliquely referenced in that letter either. Trump is the only person named in the letter, says Rolling Stone's source. Quoting ABC, multiple sources tell ABC News that allies, aides, and attorneys for the former president have been working to determine if anyone else received a target letter. Quote, we can't find anyone, unquote, a source said Tuesday afternoon. Rudy Giuliani's lawyer confirms on the record he did not get a target letter. Same from John Eastman's lawyer. No firm answers from Jeffrey Clark, Michael Roman, Boris Epstein, or Mark Meadows, <coughs> he flipped, <laughs> or any other Trump lawyer involved in the fake elector's end of the coup attempt. Conventional wisdom had developed that Jack Smith was going to reel in not only Trump, but also a lot of his legal co-conspirators, and that's one of the problems with conventional wisdom. So let me now quote more conventional wisdom. Rolling Stone, The New York Times, and ABC led the way here, quoting experts who believe that one of the gists of this case spelled out, or at least referred to in the letter, may center on the effort to produce false documents, that would be the actual physical slates of electors, which would be that first category of charge, conspiracy to defraud the United States, the false electors, and then using those documents and those electors to pressure Mike Pence and others to act illegally, which could be deprivation of rights under color of law. Rolling Stone says there are charges in there specifically relating to the pressure on Pence during the Electoral College ceremony on January 6th. And the Times quotes the former White House ethics chief Norm Eisen, by leading the effort to procure fraudulent electoral certificates across the nation, Trump helmed a conspiracy to defraud the U.S. And by using those false documents to press Mike Pence to disrupt the January 6th meeting of Congress, Trump attempted to obstruct an official proceeding. As an aside, no one, no one, anywhere, no offense, Mr. Eisen, no one, no one, anywhere has ever said the word helmed aloud. Deprivation of rights under color of law is Section 242 of Title 18 of the U.S. Code, and while it is almost always used in discrimination cases, the government explains the law thusly. It covers some acts done by government officials lawfully, quote, but also acts done beyond the bounds of that official's lawful authority if the acts are done while the official is purporting to or pretending to act in the performance of his slash her official duties. If Trump as president is telling Pence as vice president, he is lawfully required to stop the certification of the Biden electors, and Pence is not lawfully required to do that, not even lawfully allowed to do that, that act by Trump could easily be deprivation of Pence's rights. As an aside, there is a huge irony here pointed out by NBC Justice reporter Ryan Riley. Whether deprivation of rights under color of law is the Pence thing or it's something else, it loudly echoes the day half a century ago, 1973, when the Justice Department, 
You know, Jack Smith's current employers indicted Trump management, Fred Trump chairman and his weird kid Donald president for discriminating against black renters at the Trump Wilshire Apartments in Jamaica Estates in the New York borough of Queens. The Trumps settled, Dementia J. Trump claimed victory, and a pattern of public racism in Trump's life that has lasted half a century was established if it hadn't been established in the womb. As to that third category of charge in the letter, I have found no wisdom, conventional or otherwise, about the tampering with the witness part, or tampering with a witness victim or informant, but it could easily be the Cassidy Hutchinson case, where a Trump-provided lawyer urged her to not remember what she clearly did remember. Or tampering could be the Pence stuff, and the deprivation of rights under color of law could be something else altogether. There continues to be some reporting, but far more murmuring below the surface, that whenever we see this grand jury report, it is going to be filled with enough separate counts as I phrased it in my bulletin podcast report yesterday, to make the first case look like a small stack of parking tickets. In addition to the prospect of other categories of Trumpian criming, that first one, defrauding the government, why, that might as well be accompanied with an actual CT scan of Dementia J. Trump's head. Defrauding the government? That is Trump's reason for existence. The fake electors are doubtless included in there, and Trump would certainly be charged for each separate slate from each separate state. In fact, he could be charged with each separate elector from each separate state. And the ones indicted by Michigan's attorney general yesterday totaled 16. That could be 16 Trump charges right there. It makes sense thus to mention here the curiosities in that Michigan indictment. These 16 were sitting ducks because state law there requires that for their electoral votes to count, they had to meet in the state capitol. So that's what they all wrote on the forms, except, oops, they did not meet in the state capitol. They met in Republican headquarters in a basement somewhere, and they are thus probably all on the hook for perjury just to start with. Republican National Committee woman Kathy Burden is one of the Michigan defendants, as is somebody named Michelle Lundgren, who told a Detroit TV station that she thought she was signing an attendance sheet for a meeting. Yeah, the Liars Club. Also indicted was the fake elector and former Michigan GOP co-chair Michonne Maddock, who only on Monday had tweeted a wonderful meme. It's a picture of a gull on a beach, and the gull is marked me. One leg of the gull is outstretched towards something on the beach marked that. And the caption to the whole thing is, everyone, don't do that. She should probably delete that meme and replace it with one of those F around and find out memes. Back to Trump, and one of the exhausting parts of this story for both you and I is that 24 hours ago, if you had said that 1,250 words into today's commentary, I would not have substantively addressed the first day of pretrial in the court of Judge Eileen Cannon, you know, the woman who I said yesterday will in part decide whether we all live or die, I would not have believed you. But that is how fast and how dramatically events have been moving. It was like this during Watergate, too, Sonny. And that was beginning to get like this just about 50 years ago, right around now. And if you can get good odds in Vegas 
for the day Trump reports to prison or is disqualified from serving or he flees the country or however he wraps this up. Bet on either August 8th, 2024 or August 9th, 2024, because those days are exactly 50 years to the day since Nixon announced he would resign and then did resign. On the other hand, in the living in a blender feel that Watergate provided, the news did seem to come only one or two stories a day instead of, you know, the special counsel's second target letter to the defendant ex-president dropping three hours before the defendant's lawyers were trying to get the results of the special counsel's first target letter to the ex-president postponed till the year 2525 if man is still alive. The news out of the Florida court is that there was very little news, and that's good news. And the news is that Eileen Cannon did not roll over and woof on cue for the man who appointed her. The judge is yet to formally rule on any of this, but she said both that the mid-December opening of the trial that Jack Smith wanted ideally is too soon and does indeed conflict with Trump's civil $250 million fraud trial in October I think in the old days of the New York airports, we called this gate saturation. She also indicated, though, the idea about pushing the trial until after the election is not a serious one. That is why she asked about moving the Alvin Bragg trial dates in New York next March. I'm sure Alvin will oblige. Trump lawyer Todd Blanche told Judge Cannon he sees the documents trial lasting six to seven weeks. Prosecutors say they can get through their part in 21 days. The wild cards would be handling the classified documents and impaneling a jury of Trump's peers. Like there's anybody else like this guy in the universe. Still, the overarching news from Judge Cannon's courtroom is positive. It remains. Cannon did not open the thing up by shutting it all down. To hop briefly through the looking glass, people, and see all this from parallel America, white land, fascist land, Trump land, guess what? This is all a diversion. Didn't you know that? There's no case. There has been no investigation. The target letter to Trump was sent for only one reason, and it was only written the other day, and it only exists to distract America from the latest James Comer, Hunter Biden scandal fairy tale and the revelation of the identity of Whistleblower X. I believe she was played by Lana Turner in a movie in 1966. As the most nitwitted of Fox News actresses, Harris Faulkner, said to a Republican congressman yesterday, what about the timing? Everybody knew you were going to do this hearing tomorrow. The only reference to the looming indictments of their former president in the Washington Examiner, which is ostensibly a newspaper, is about his reaction and a quote from him about election interference. One far-right operative responded to all this by tweeting the list of the fake electors indicted in Michigan with their ages next to their names and captioned it only, quote, they're going after seniors who support Trump now. And the biggest story on the ever more sad CNN homepage is Trump convening with his whores, Kevin McCarthy, Matt Gates, Byron Donalds, Jim Jordan, and Elise Stefanik, and trying to figure out how to go on offense against Jack Smith and the entire prosecution. CNN happily provided Trump and his minions with his first pushback by quoting Gates's bid to, quote, defund the Jack Smith investigation. 
and the loudish Donalds basically threatening the Department of Justice. And it also let Jordan suggest that Congress should no longer fund DOJ investigations of, wait for this, no longer fund DOJ investigations of elected officials, political candidates, and their families until new policies are established. A, Jim, we have policies. They're called laws. B, Jim, you seem to forget that under your plan, all you'd have to do to get away with a crime, any crime, is to declare your candidacy for office, any office. Of course, given Jim Jordan's personal history, there's every chance that to him that is not a bug but a feature. In the supposed middle This is where we are right now in America and American politics and American political news. A Politico headline posted late last night at the Politico website asked this question in the headline. Looming indictment wrenches open the central question of 2024. Is Trump fit to serve? I really did expect to see below that about 24 inches of blank space on my computer screen followed by just four words. No, of course not. Yeah, that's not what was there. Because in this Ohio diner, when Trump long ago said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any supporters, he was actually being circumspect. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any news sites desperate to apply both sidesism to his crime. He could launch nukes, and some reporter from Politico or somewhere else would spend the last moment of our planetary collective existence tweeting, but won't this really hurt Biden more? Also of interest here, I want to repeat an observation I made in the bulletin yesterday. I am convinced now that Ron DeSantis is there only to make Trump look good by contrast. DeSantis's first big mainstream media interview, four o'clock yesterday, swamped by Trump's pretrial, Trump's target letter, Trump's primetime interview. And he actually says something, DeSantis does, that gets quoted, and unfortunately, it's a callback to that incident where he reportedly ate custard at dinner with his hands. Asked by Jake Tapper whether moving further to the right on cultural issues in Florida makes him less electable nationally, DeSantis answered, quote, I don't think it's true. The proof is in the pudding. Your fingers are in the pudding, Fats. Not that the stain of that will be hard to clean off for him, but the aforementioned Washington Examiner quoted it in its DeSantis story last night four different times. I'll say it again. If Trump falls, jumps, or gets pushed out of a window, he will survive the fall without a scratch because he will land on Ron DeSantis. One other thing. I have been ignoring the dogs here at home. Uh, Yeah, a little. But I, I really mean on the podcast. So let me tell you of the day I went from no dogs to all dogs. And I'll introduce you to my special guest, my birthday gal, Stevie, who's just turned 11. And I'll tell you how she and Rudy Giuliani figured in my becoming born again in dogs. That's next. This is Countdown.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by the depths of human potential and the incredible things that humans can do. So I became a cognitive scientist, studying all the ways in which we think, create, make decisions, and work toward becoming who we want to become. I'm Scott Barry Kaufman, host of The Psychology Podcast. I'm a cognitive scientist, and I've written 10 books and hundreds of articles on topics such as intelligence, creativity, well-being, narcissism, introversion, and education. The Psychology Podcast is a place where we investigate the different ways in which we can unlock human potential and where I get to interview some of the most extraordinary and fascinating people. And we have real conversations about what it means to achieve success and what it means to be human. So join me, Scott Barry Kaufman, on The Psychology Podcast, where we investigate the depths of human potential. Listen to The Psychology Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Now on a day of an unusual rundown for Countdown, since I had two of them to do yesterday, I kind of ran out of time, which is fine because I've been wanting to tell this for a while. We're already at the number one story on the Countdown and my favorite topic, me, and things I promised not to tell. Busy month around here with the dogs. July 1st was Ted's gotcha day. Five years since he came in as a foster, and then I failed profoundly. Once again, lucky me. I don't know how Ted found me, but here he is. A week later, it was Stevie's birthday, the big 1-1. A week after that, Mine turned 16. I've told you about Mine. He's the rescue who had outlived his human, and they thought he had dementia, and we had to take all of his teeth out. And when he first got here, he was like a Roomba. And he didn't have dementia. He had bad teeth. And once we took out the bad teeth, 90% of his dementia cleared up. And he's gained three pounds since then. He started talking to me now. And he understands most of what I say to him, even though he really only understands French. It's a long story. He's also the best on-a-walk dog in the world. But... 
If you had said any of this to me on September 30th, 2012, not one word of it would have made any sense to me. I had never had a dog. Allergies and travel and work. And then Olivia looked at me and said, I need a puppy fix. That was the exact quote. This was September 30th, 2012, nearly 11 years ago. And my girlfriend, Olivia, her family dog was dying. My girlfriend wouldn't say it. Her folks wouldn't say it. The dog, a Jack Russell Terrier named Casey, did her best to be the only truthful one in the bunch, moving purposefully and unsteadily with every step and looking out at her world with a seeming mixture of acceptance and sadness and regret that the one time she really needed bipeds to speak for her, they wouldn't. I just need for dogs not to mean sadness, Olivia said, just for a while. Can we go to that pet shop on Lex? I mumbled that we could go, but that I had resisted the dog entreaties of 11 girlfriends before her, and I would successfully resist hers. I had always loved dogs, but I was really allergic to them, and my doctors had all said that even hypoallergenic dogs were a crapshoot. She said, I do not want a dog. I am not trying to convince you to get us a dog. I just want to hold a puppy for a little while. She paused, as she always did when she felt both hopeless and angry at being at the mercy of feelings, and she lapsed into the shrug emoji, as sappy as that sounds. Olivia, the girlfriend, the former girlfriend, let me make this easier on both of us. We'll call her TFGF, the former girlfriend. TFGF and I left for the pet shop in mid-afternoon, and I told her my true fear here, that my native but dormant shared affinity with dogs would, all of a moment, spring fully grown from my soul, and I would blurt, just give me all of them. I mean, what kind of life could I offer a dog? I was on television and thus always in a television studio, and thus never home for play or walks or just the prevention of canine loneliness. I had a girlfriend who lived out of town half the time. I was clueless as to every practical aspect of the dog thing. I had littered the continent with dead house plants, and I no longer thought myself capable of pulling my ego out of my backside sufficiently to take care of fish. I had literally not had a pet of any kind since 1967. I had come to terms with living in a wistful, hazy world in which I might inadvertently have a dog pal for a few moments, but almost never indoors and never without the pang of knowing that the hello itself contained the start of the goodbye. And I was allergic. I was allergic to the obvious, big, furry, friendly dogs, and I might be allergic to the ones that were billed as non-allergic. And if I disobeyed this immutable canon, the buried tears of permanent exclusion might be replaced by far worse ones of separation and loss. Me? I would get over it, probably, but without overvaluing myself too much, to betray the love of a dog? To send a dog back? because of allergies? As TFGF and I approached the shop, there was, as there almost always is there, a small crowd undulating around it. Lexington Avenue's narrow sidewalks make these human clots easier to form, even late on the first Sunday of autumn. There is also an obstacle course of grates and cellar doors and bikes chained to poles and parking meters and canopies for diners and restaurants and mattress showrooms and other places that are not quite seedy, but also aren't 
quite your first choice. The uptown edges of the grime and noise that constitute the maze of 59th Street Bridge approaches lend the place a congested feel even when it's otherwise quiet. We are three blocks up from the trying just a little too hard merchandising of Bloomingdale's. There are unwashed delivery trucks double parked 365 days a year and then totally out of place amid the prosaic trappings of a big city at its most meh. There they are, bouncing off each other, tearing impotently at other tiny heads and tails and paws, doing a seeming pantomime of dismemberment. Their yips and the crunch of the shredded cavorting paper are just audible through the glass and over the din of the street. They create an oasis of cute. And just in case you can't tell what they are, there's this big neon sign above their street front window that reads, Puppies! Don't make me go in. I pleaded. She reassured me. We'd go in. She'd hold the dog. All I had to do was take a picture. You don't understand. I reached for her hand. What I'm trying to say is I always wanted a dog, but I could never have a dog. Just as the door to the shop opened, she grabbed my arm. She yanked hard. She swore and she muttered, you'll survive. Man up. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. We were going towards puppies and past puppies, and the appearance of a small staircase to a training loft confirmed we were now going under puppies, and in the deepest recesses of the shop there was a wall of puppies. To our right, three cages high, six across, all a yellowish beige behind a reddish-brown formica countertop, then a structural beam, and then three cages high, two across, then a corner with a small visiting pen built into the countertop, then right in front of me, the Hollywood squares of puppies. Three high, three across, and all of their inmates, all nine of them staring at me and screaming at me and making eye contact and saying via ESP, take me home. A salesman now introduced himself as Jeffrey, and Jeffrey asked if TFGF had any particular dog she wanted him to bring to her. Let me see the Maltese, the girl. In that moment, two things struck me. Firstly, this was my cue to get the phone out and prepare to take the photo of her with the puppy. Secondly, the dog whom the salesman was now temporarily liberating from the surprisingly spare cage was the only living soul inside that pet shop besides me who was not making any damn noise. Every other puppy was perfecting its adolescent bark. The cats were making a bewildering variety of noises. And, and was that a Norwegian blue parrot squawk? Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue, isn't it? Beautiful plumage. This Maltese said nothing. She looked like her torso would easily fit in one of my hands if she was three pounds, a quarter of it was hair, and half of that was curled, and presumably somebody came by every day to turn what sat atop her head into a mohawk up top and a mullet in the back. Her cage mate brother seemed a little bigger, but his eyes were clearly smaller, and their ocular contrast was immediately visible, even if you still had forlorn hopes of avoiding eye contact. His shown. Hers were illuminated. He tried to get past her into the salesman's arms. She simply lifted up her head towards him, and it actually crossed my mind that she looked like she was about to say, hi, Jeffrey, how are you today? He put her gently down in the playpen at the right corner of the counter. TFGF asked if she could pick the puppy up and nodded to me to get the camera ready. 
honestly, Jeffrey said, this is the sweetest dog we've had in here for months. I say that every day to almost everybody, but this time I'm actually not lying. TFGF cradled the Maltese in her arms with the dog's head facing to my right. I tapped the camera on the phone. My hand was already shaking. As I centered up TFGF and the puppy in the frame, the Maltese suddenly wiggled upright, placed her front paws on my girlfriend's chest, and just as I snapped the image, the dog reached up and kissed my girlfriend on the lips. I am, on occasion, completely incapable of remembering anything that happened in my entire life before that moment. TFGF made the appropriate sounds of approval. Jeffrey began discussing how little grooming the Maltese breed needs and the great price he could give us. And even as my head spun, it seemed silly to me that he was calculating the tax on something that was obviously timelessly and eternally priceless. TFGF said something about how we needed a minute outside to discuss it. And she handed the puppy back to Jeffrey and the dog looked at each of each of us and as if she was about to say, nice to meet you. As the pup went back up into the cage with her brother, something extraordinary happened. The little girl was reaching her head up towards the spout of the cage's water bottle. With the same graceful movement she had made to bestow that kiss on TFGF, when her brother puppy abruptly body slammed her out of the way and her tiny frame bounced off the side of the cage. And then to my shock and confusion, a deep and threatening growl, a vengeful reverberated throughout the pet shop. The growl was coming from me. The next sounds were from TFGF. My God, what's wrong with you? I didn't know it at the time, but as we turned to fight our way back out through the shop to the street, I evidently half skidded into a display full of chew toys. They nearly toppled to the floor. I nearly toppled to the floor. I couldn't see, but I didn't recognize my own tears until they hit the edges of my lips. Somehow I managed to say it again, this time in despair. I always wanted a dog, but I could never have one. She suddenly realized what had happened. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. TFGF was now holding me upright and steering me towards the door to the street. I didn't listen to you. I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. You told me I didn't believe you. I'm so sorry. Well, now the stories came pouring out, all jumbled, one on top of the other. Tiny, the St. Bernard at the Katzensteins. He only wanted to embrace me. He wasn't trying to eat me. And the McConnell's mutt next door boots used to come sit on my lap. And Tiny didn't make me sneeze. He only scared me. And the McConnell's had three boys and a mother who baked cookies by the carload lot. And boots never left their side. And I was always at their house. And if I was allergic, how was it that I never once had a problem with boots? How in the hell did that work, huh? And what about Vladimir, the stray cat my sister found? He used to live in the garage and behaved like a dog and liked to be carried around like a baby. And how allergic was I? That beautiful, beautiful little Maltese reached up and kissed you on the mouth. And the one time I took my dad's movie camera to the McConnell's house. Half of the film was of boots. And what if I went back and got the allergy shots again? And it was my mother who said she was really allergic, so I must be too. And what's the use? The little Maltese was perfect. And the next person who sees her will snap her up in an instant. And I asked them just to let me try a little dog who wouldn't shed. The only thing my mother would let me have were lizards. And I could take a Zyrtec every day. I'm so sorry, Tiny. I didn't realize. I never said goodbye to Boots. Maltese is gone. She's gone. She's gone. And she's my dog. I know it. I could feel it. She's my dog and she's gone. What happened next beggars fiction. 
it involves Rudy Giuliani. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by the depths of human potential and the incredible things that humans can do. So I became a cognitive scientist, studying all the ways in which we think, create, make decisions, and work toward becoming who we want to become. I'm Scott Barry Kaufman, host of The Psychology Podcast. I'm a cognitive scientist, and I've written 10 books and hundreds of articles on topics such as intelligence, creativity, well-being, narcissism, introversion, and education. The Psychology Podcast is a place where we investigate the different ways in which we can unlock human potential and where I get to interview some of the most extraordinary and fascinating people. And we have real conversations about what it means to achieve success and what it means to be human. So join me, Scott Barry Kaufman, on The Psychology Podcast, where we investigate the depths of human potential. Listen to The Psychology Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the number one story on the countdown and the day I fell in love with a dog for the first time and my girlfriend, the former girlfriend, TFGF, and I left the puppy in the pet shop. TFGF and I were walking, me, mid-meltdown, Somehow, now nearing the Park Avenue Armory, one block west and four blocks north of the pet shop that I thought we were still in. To her credit, TFGF had kept me from throwing myself into traffic or dissolving into a puddle on 62nd Street. The overwhelming sensation I had was not one of having left the tiny puppy in the shop, but of having left a part of myself there. That was my dog. And what was worse was she was obviously going to be taken by somebody else even before I got back there. Even if we turned around right away, who could resist her? I certainly hadn't. My chaotic stream of consciousness monologue paused only when I had no choice but to shut up and gasp for breath. And the comments with which TFGF tried to soothe me in these moments were self-abnegating and solemn. 
She had talked me off the limb of my certainty that the dog had already been sold and was now steering me back towards sanity. I had to, she would say later. You were having a breakdown. She said we should go home, and if I wanted to talk seriously about the practicalities of owning a dog, we could do that and still get the puppy the next morning, even if it meant delaying her departure for D.C. Don't worry, I'm sure she's still there. They were getting ready to close. She'll be there in the morning. I exhaled, and then I repanicked. She's, she's, I sniffed anew, and the tears resumed. She's in that cage with that brother of hers? In the basement somewhere? Before TFGF could answer, and I swear this is true, Rudy Giuliani spilled down the stairs from the armory we were passing. A cop suddenly appeared from a different nowhere and put out an arm and firmly asked us to stop walking, and Giuliani scuttled, rodent-like, into a waiting car. A wife was with him. I did not and do not know which number. The driver was already closing the door behind them when I shouted it. How come my dog has to spend the night in a cage while that asshat is allowed to roam around this city without a leash on him? Later that evening, TFGF said that was the first moment she thought we might just get home safe and sound after all. It was not ten more minutes back to my apartment, and we walked it in silence now. I had long since saturated my handkerchief and some tissues TFGF had in her pockets. I was breathing deeply and restoratively now, the sniffle frequency reduced to once or twice per block. And my mind was crowded with the dogs I had known. Boots, Tiny, Vladimir the Cat, even TFGF's little Casey, dying out in Jersey and unaware of the seismic events which she had set in motion. I was thinking of other dogs, too. All of the dogs in all of the stories of James Thurber that I read on TV every Friday night. I had smiled along with his poetic descriptions of them, but never confessed I loved them as he must have. There was Samantha, whom my late friend Bruce Hagen used to bring everywhere, including our college radio station newsroom, the first really big dog who did not frighten me. My great aunt's Yorkie, whose gas was so potent that the Christmas just before I turned nine, my great uncle said he was convinced she had been a German terror weapon at Chateau Thierry in the First World War, and he and I had bonded because I knew what Chateau Thierry was. There was Nellie McNally, the only dog that any of my sometimes out-of-town girlfriends ever had actually put on the phone with me. In my mind, they all stood before me, all lined up, all quiet, smiling, all with the kindest type of, I told you so, dummy, on their wonderful faces. And dozens more behind them, vague shapes and sizes, who belonged to neighbors or co-workers past, or who were just chance encounters on the streets of any of a dozen cities decades before. No, I'm sorry, she said. I shouldn't have been that selfish. But now I disagreed with her, and as I unlocked the apartment door, I began to tell her of the dogs I had just been communing with in my mind, and what had suddenly become necessary, urgent, inevitable, and perfect, but about which I needed as much detail as I could in as short a period as possible. TFGF tried. Well, you just take the dog wherever you can. My parents have been saying this a lot lately. Now they regret not doing more things with Casey. Not adventures, not kayaking, just taking her with them or going out in the yard or just holding her while they watch TV. You just let the dog in. We went through topic after topic, cleaning, training, handling poop, 
walks, food, puppy sitters, moving books off ground level shelves, discipline, and most importantly of all, a backup plan in case this epiphany was false and or I was still allergic or terrified or incompetent or all three. I don't think it'll take much to convince my parents to take her. I mean, even after Casey uh, recovers, and I can take her with me to D.C. tomorrow, I'll bring her back next weekend so you can get the apartment ready and you can get you ready and you don't have to go in at the deep end right away. I interrupted her with a kiss. Let's go back there before they close. I don't want to wait till morning. I'm still terrified somebody else will realize how extraordinary she is. Unexpectedly, I had a moment of doubt at this point. This isn't just me having a breakdown, right? I mean, she is extraordinary. I'm having a breakdown, and she is extraordinary, isn't she? TFGF stopped being nice, and now for the first time looked at me like I'd just gone crazy, even though I just had gone crazy. Obviously, she said, that was a real kiss. The pet shop had stayed open, partly because... TFGF phoned them as we hit the street outside the apartment building, and partly because they knew. You were coming back, Jeffrey said. You just see it sometimes. Also, you seemed kind of emotional. TFGF helpfully mentioned that I'd had a breakdown. They had all the paraphernalia ready, a little aqua bed, a series of attached gates that could be used as a pen or a barrier, a small pink blanket, a bag of training pads and the plastic pad holder, enough dry food to last 12 to 14 months, some horrific wet food that looked like a discarded early design for liverwurst, a few chew toys, a bright pink harness and a leash as light as a ribbon, a black carrying bag and paperwork with the puppy's family tree, which to my astonishment stretched back beyond her birth one week shy of three months before through the six preceding generations all the way back to six entire years earlier. In addition to all this, they could have included a moped, a stock portfolio to guarantee her college education, and a Maltese-sized typewriter with a 20-year supply of replacement ribbons, and I would have also bought them. A very nice lady named Ellie tried to train me to be a dog owner in about 94 seconds and handed me a voucher for a vet and a checklist of stuff to do. I signed a credit card bill. I think I used my own name. I absolved myself of the guilt of not getting a shelter dog because I was allergic and kind of had to go the shop route. Plus, I was not looking for a dog. I had actually fallen in love at first sight with this dog. And lastly, because no matter how the obvious and often tragic flaws in this system, there was no arguing with the fact that those dogs who came from a pet shop had as much of a right to a happy life as any other dog. At that moment, they produced her from the back room behind the block of cages where we had first seen her. Her curls had been fluffed up and her hair freshly brushed. It would be lovely to say she made eye contact from across the shop floor or was aware of our presence or yipped happily at the sight of me, and it would be completely untrue. The little Maltese calmly scanned the room, only occasionally glancing up at the manager who carried her and not once at us until she was, without ceremony or comment, handed to me. Whereupon, she immediately twisted out of my trembling hands, stuck her front paws on my chest, and reached up to give me a kiss on the lips, and then another, and a third, and my sunglasses hid the tears that welled up again. I managed to ask if they all did that. No, came the answer from that salesman, Jeffrey. Honestly, 
Like I told you, sweetest pup we've had here in months. Loves people. Loves people. I'm sad to see her go. I marveled at how light she was and yet how articulated and strong her body was. Her eyes were far more beautiful than I had realized, oversized even for a puppy, almost no white visible, the reflection off the deep brown irises almost iridescent. And more astonishingly, this little soul, who was about 1 212th my age and about 1 87th my weight, and who had a great, 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 great grandmother born in 2006, when my great, 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 great grandmother was born in like 1800, she was meeting and holding my gaze with her own. Whatever I was seeing in her eyes, whatever of the inner being I was actually processing, she seemed to be doing her equivalent vetting. I gave her a little kiss and was by now not surprised when she kissed me again. The little tongue poked out a fraction of an inch, just enough so any one of us dumb, unsettle bipeds could tell she meant it. And then she relaxed from her upright pose and settled back into my arms, her head in the crook of my right elbow, in an attitude I would soon discover she would repeat every time I ever picked her up. A couple hours later, the name came to me. Her haircut. It was Stevie Nicks's haircut. I named her Stevie. I've done all the damage I can do here. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's just stop the music just for a second. Stevie, you want a treat? You been a good girl lately? I mean, we didn't mention your birthday on the air. I'm very sorry about that. Do you want a treat? We'll say something. Stevie, you want a treat? Come on. <laughs> say that again. Okay. Do you want to tell them about physical therapy? Stevie couldn't walk three months ago. She had had a problem with both of her back knees. She tore an ACL and she had an immune disease. And these things combined and made it impossible for her to walk. And she has been going to physical therapy at the Animal Medical Center ever since. She's learned how to swim. She gets massages and she gets laser treatments every week. And she has a great time. And this is the hospital that she has always treated as if it were a spa. She has a very high threshold for pain. So through cancer treatments and surgery and half a dozen other things that have gone wrong, she's always kept a smile on her face because they've treated her so well there. And she's had such a good time. She's always acted like it was a spa. Well, here it is. After 10 years of going there. They give her spa treatments. They put her in the water. They blow dry her hair. They often trim her nails to make sure that they get the whole imprint of her feet right to make sure her gait is okay as she's regained the ability to walk. She goes for a swim. She goes in an underwater treadmill to work out. As I said, they use lasers on her knees. And then they end the whole thing with doing her hair and, and giving her a massage. It's a spa. She was right. My girl Stevie, 11 years old, and the anniversary coming up, too. All right, you were good enough to sit through this. You want that treat now? Say it again one more time. You want this treat? Say it. You don't have to sit. You don't have to be quiet. She's sitting. The one time she's sitting and being quiet. Say something. Do you want this treat? Yes or no? Yes? 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 Well, you're twirling, but say yes. Do you want this treat? There we go. All right. Thank you very much. All right, you've, you've indulged me long enough, okay. 
I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of this was written by Stevie. The music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown Musical Directors. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend John Dean. Everything else was pretty much my fault. Don't forget, Countdown Now also available for you on YouTube if you want to see the animated version of me. What we should have put on there was an animated version of Stevie. So that's Countdown for this, the 925th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still have time. Like, would Friday be convenient? The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Bolton's as the news warrants. Till then, for Stevie, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Barry Kaufman, host of The Psychology Podcast. I'm a cognitive scientist, and I've written 10 books and hundreds of articles on topics such as intelligence, introversion, and education. The Psychology Podcast is a place where we investigate the different ways in which we can unlock human potential, and where I get to interview some of the most extraordinary and fascinating people, and we have real conversations about what it means to achieve success and what it means to be human. Listen to The Psychology Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.